another thing I love about intuitive eating because obviously I love it so much is like, I think it blends so beautifully with this idea of cyclic living and really, again, just flowing with what you need in that present moment rather than trying to fixate on planning and obsessing over your health, your fitness and your wellness routine. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you will see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and it's a pleasure as always to have you here listening. Today we have a fire episode. It was one of those conversations that just had me lit up afterwards. I was just so overjoyed at how the conversation went and just, I don't know, imagining how it could potentially resonate and help so many of you listening just makes my heart all happy and warm and gooey inside, like a fresh-baked chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) Sorry, I've got cookies on my mind because I just was enjoying these absolutely decadent chocolate chip peanut butter banana cookies I made, and man oh man, nothing beats a fresh-baked cookie, you feel me? Uh, But yeah, today's conversation is just phenomenal because in February, it was obviously NADA, National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And in that time, I actually had the amazing opportunity to first talk to a college dietics program, McGill University, thanks to a good friend of mine, Liam. And that was interesting to reflect on my history and journey with disordered eating to them as Um, you know, wonderful people going off to be in the healthcare and workforce front lines, being educated on disordered eating is so important. And then after that, I got to talk to, it's called Cell360, and it's a just sort of like 360 wellness program initiative. And we did a Facebook recording, a recording to go on their Facebook. And it was a discussion on disordered eating, body image, orthorexia, and all these things. And once more, to just reflect on that part of my history and my journey, and then to be talking about my present self, right, and the present work I do, it just really showed me the growth that has happened, right? And I think it can be so easy to, I don't know, feel like we're in a rut or we're in a cycle when it comes to disordered eating or recovery or any of that. But it is so important to like, find the small wins along the way no matter how small no matter how big like the wins along the way matter and on that same note it's okay to have a setback or you know take a little stumble backwards it's just about getting back to it and continuing the process and the work and so i'm just so happy that i got to connect with today's guest victoria myers because she is someone who was actually part of my journey and my recovery process my healing process I found her podcast back in 2018, and it was one of the first times I really started to understand the depth of disordered eating, and that even though I thought I was recovered and healed from that part of my past, I actually was still struggling with what I would soon learn to be orthorexia. And I don't know, just listening to the experts and the friends and the comrades of Victoria and her then co-host, 
discuss it on their podcast, Nourishing Women's Podcast, it was just so educational and empowering to me on my own journey. And so it just feels so right that she is now on my podcast to bring that all to you all. I just really hoped that this conversation could be to you all, to my community, what her podcast was to me. And I really think we nailed it. I think we did good, guys. So be excited. This episode is going to probably hit home, probably resonate, or at least get you thinking for many, many, many of you. Uh, what I love about Victoria and her, her staff, her team at Nourishing Minds Nutrition is that they are all about wellness without obsession. This is such an important topic, discussion to be having because nowadays, as you all know, with diet culture and orthorexia and all the hidden ways that we're just fed these lies about not being enough and that we need to change or lose weight or exercise more, eat this and not that. There's so many lies and ways we're misled and misguided. And to be able to find wellness without the obsession, to just have a desire to be well and not be obsessive and controlling and manipulative about it is so empowering and so powerful. And I just love that. I think that really aligns with this podcast mission of 360 Wellness, focusing on mind, body, spirit, and not just getting stuck in that obsessive mindset. And so a few of the other things we discuss in this episode is the mental side, the mental impact of disordered eating. I bring up how I'm now seeing a therapist who, you know, she's not an eating disorder specialist, but she's educated in it. And so when I bring that into the conversation, she knows, you know, enough, we can be guided through, she can help guide me through it. And that's just so powerful for me myself. And maybe that's something you're up to try. Maybe it's not. But nevertheless, Victoria gives her insight on the connection between the mental and the physical when it does come to eating disorders and disordered eating. Then we do move into just how to overall make peace and work towards that recovery, recovery mindset. And in this raising the overall awareness of your own habits and thoughts and beliefs around yourself, your health wellness, all that fun stuff. And probably one of my favorite parts of this conversation is when we move into intuitive eating, which I know is such a hazy term. There's so much associated with it and something I myself am actually interested in and working towards. But Victoria does an amazing job of defining what intuitive eating actually means, uh, then her approach to it, and how you can really, I don't know, integrate this into any wellness lifestyle that you, you know, aspire to have. And so it's really interesting and comforting the way she discusses intuitive eating. I feel personally like it removes a lot of the pressure, a lot of the stigma, a lot of the shame that can sometimes be associated with it. Beyond that, we discuss, I mean, we just go from like topic to topic in this conversation. I loved it. We flowed so well together, <laughs> but I know there's parts in there about struggling with body image and how that relates to our choices around food, uh, understanding your overall relationship to food and exercise and fear foods and all of that. There's a bit in there about hormone health and then just overall wellness without obsession, how you can care for your gut or your hormones or your overall well-being without falling into diet culture, without spiraling and becoming obsessive and controlling about it. So overall, this is a conversation I needed as a reminder to myself on a few things and something I know my past self would have needed and I think probably many of you 
could use as well. And so I really hope it resonates. I hope it connects. And if it does, let us know. Victoria is on Instagram at Nourishing Minds Nutrition, linked below, and her website is there as well. You can learn more, listen to her amazing podcast, connect with her staff, and there's even the potential to work with her if you're really interested in working towards recovery and making some big leaps towards that freedom. To connect with me, let's chat on the DMs. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. I always love to connect, hear your stories, how that podcast has impacted you, uh, or even if you have suggestions for what I can be doing better. I am always open to it. So without further ado, let's begin. I kind of wanted to start out with something that we can just talk a bit about here. And it's pretty new to me where I just actually started seeing a therapist two weeks ago and she is, I guess, like eating disorder educated in a sense. So she's able to adequately like talk through these things with me while doing our more normal therapy in a sense. And it's been just mind blowing because, you know, I've never claimed to be fully recovered. I'm not an expert, but I have so many conversations on and I do feel like I'm pretty open and aware of a lot of the, you know, my past struggles with it and things that are still coming up and such, but talking with someone in such a, like, I don't know, safe space, you know, she's holding the place for me to just really go on and on about these thoughts, these things I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. It's been showing me so many deep rooted beliefs, thoughts, or just emotions around any lingering bits of like my disordered ways or, you know, diet culture thoughts. And it's just been so like mind opening to me. And I'm just curious, like with the field you're in and such, like, how do you see like that connection between, right? Like the mind in that sense. And then like the physical, when it comes to that sort of like eating disorder field. I think it's everything. I think it's more of the work than people give it credit for. And don't get me wrong. I'm a dietitian. So I know to stay within my scope of practice when I'm working with a client, as an example, a lot of times I am like specifically giving them navigation about how to go from food fear to food freedom, how to make sure you're nourishing yourself enough. Sometimes I It means using a meal plan, going through the principles, but there's also like a lot of the mind work. And I think that's like, I just shared, I think where people almost aren't willing to give that the work it deserves, or like they're scared of it because it's definitely more scary to do the mind work. Um, but it is so foundational and so powerful. A lot of times what we'll tell people is like, this work is more about like learning how to have internal dialogue with yourself more than it is anything else. And just having constant open awareness and observation of what it is you're thinking and believing about yourselves and getting curious and asking why and getting to know the deeper rooted reasons why that's going on. That's why a lot of times on our podcast, we'll talk about, you know, when we are talking about body image or food struggles, we'll talk about perfectionism and people pleasing and control issues, because those are the real things going on, right? Like those are the deeper rooted issues. I'm sure your therapist has mentioned with you, like that's, that's really where this work. I think that's where a lot of this work should be about because that's really the underlying reasons why all this is going on. Yeah, I, it is a hundred percent where we're diving into in these therapy sessions and what you said there about internal dialogue. Like if you're up to it, like, let's discuss that a bit. Just how do you explain that to people? How do you start working with people on that? Because I think there is so much internal dialogue going on subconsciously and consciously that it just makes such an impact on us overall. 
Yeah. I love that you asked this question. Um, this is, I feel like where I spend so much of my time with clients and online course students. So I'm happy to talk about it. So just for like the person listening, who's like, what the heck is that internal dialogue? So we all talk to ourselves. We all do. Sometimes we aren't aware of the thoughts we have. And a lot of times we're very aware. And it's like, um, often words people use to describe it as loud, obnoxious, noisy. So I think that both scenarios are still the fact that we are talking to ourselves constantly. And a lot of this work, like I just shared is having a dialogue back with it. So not just taking the thoughts on as your own and also not taking the thoughts as meaning that should be what you go do the actions that you partake in. And so much of when you're working on food and body image, you're still years down the road, possibly even going to have, let's say a negative thought about, let's say, so I don't like my body or a negative belief about food. Like, Oh, I shouldn't eat that food. Or I ate already too much today. I shouldn't eat this. The work is so much of like, okay, that's interesting that I feel that way. Why do I feel that way? Is that really true? Or is that, you know, programmed diet culture belief system? So basically in a very, like very simple sense, dialogue is actually having a dialogue back and forth with the thoughts. And we, we encourage people, like I said, to like first bring awareness to it and then start to challenge or ask questions back to it. That's a a way of having dialogue with it. And then, um, a really other, really helpful example is reframing the thoughts, which I can get more into if you want me to, but just, you know, changing the narrative that you're hearing inside your, your mind to something else that would be a little bit more neutral or positive enhancing of a thought pattern to have. Yeah. I mean, I guess that goes right into what you said before about that, asking the why. And as you said, like having the conversation, because it is so easy, it actually becomes a habit right over time, because when anyone enters the field where it's, you know, there's diet culture, there's disordered eating, things start happening. Like it's not our natural instinct to do these things. They are quite literally habits built up over time where it's like every time you listen to, you know, that impulse to, um, to restrict or that impulse to do this or that you're building the habit. And, you know, the way to kind of like break that or overcome it is to ask that why, like create space for you to make your own decision, your own, like that self-awareness in a sense. Um, so I think that is like just so interconnected and when you mentioned the reframing of your thoughts, I know um, Jennifer Rowland was on the podcast and she was talking a bit about that, but if you could like go into that from your perspective and just explain that a bit more, I think that is such an important aspect of it as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It is. I love Jennifer Rowland so much. So let's use an example of a reframe that I did with a client this week, actually. We were talking about body image beliefs and she has some pretty intense um, negative body image and it's really impacting how she's feeding herself, which is true for a lot of us. So what we did because, and this is true for so many people, not just this client, but a lot of people feel like they have to like practice like this body positivity or like love their body, exclaim all these things that they love about it. And that can feel so far-fetched and so unattainable and make people we'll just kind of give up on it altogether. So what we practiced with this client was, um, okay, let's pick up a, a certain statement that you say often to yourself. So we said, I hate that fact that my thighs touch. And then we practice, but I have gratitude that my legs allow me to walk on a daily basis, or I'm grateful that I can move my body and that my legs are able to move. I'm grateful that I'm able to do my job as a result. I can hug and play with my nephew. So these were just some of the things that we were doing to reframe it. And like I shared, I I think a lot of times I try to focus more on neutral statements or gratitude statements, because I think that can be an easier transition to building the habit of how you speak to yourself over time. So instead of, like I shared, exclaiming 
why you love all these parts of your legs for a lot of people that have really deeply entrenched negative body image that just would it be recommended to focus on in the beginning, particularly. So just finding ways that you can feel neutral towards it or have gratitude. That would be an example of a reframe that you can do. That actually reminds me of the philosophy and the idea of adding in versus subtracting. You know, when people talk about health and wellness, they always say that. And in that instance, it's like, for so many of us, it could just be completely unreasonable to almost, yeah, eradicate those thoughts. Like they will come up and it's not about just trying to like completely ignore them, um, remove them from the situation because that's just suppression. But it's like, if you can add in that additional like, but statement, I love that because it's like when those thoughts come up because they will, what can you add on to help reframe it, to help go from there? So that is, um, that's really neat. Actually, I hadn't thought of it as like adding on to it in that sense, but it is, it's just so true. It's a gratitude practice in a sense. Yeah. And there's so many things our bodies do for us on a daily basis that we can be grateful for. Um, you know, and if I could even share like a little personal antidote on that, I've been practicing becoming an intuitive eater for so long. Like it's, it is second nature to me at this point. And with food, I don't really, at this point in my journey, have any thoughts or belief systems that are negative towards food, but body image is a different story because that really is, you know, started at such a young age. It's still so deeply entrenched into every part of our society and experiences that we have that, you know, I don't believe that I have negative body image anymore, but I still have absolutely bad or negative body image thoughts from time to time. The difference is not that the thoughts have gone away, which is what I think a lot of times people expect or want to happen. The difference is that I'm like, Hmm, that's interesting. Why am I feeling that way? Then I practice the reframe or I'll even kind of give myself time to sit and be with a feeling for me personally. A lot of times there's, you know, that bad body image where I'm like, Oh, I wish I could lose weight or I want to look like this or, you know, whatever the thoughts are that we have. A lot of times it's just that something else in my life feels very stressful and out of control. And if I can sit with it and be with it, it gives me enough time to recognize like, oh, I feel this way because I'm trying to grip control onto something. And as I shared uh, just a bit ago, like I just, the biggest thing is like, I just don't ever act on it anymore. It's not that the thoughts have completely dissipated. It's just never an action is taken upon those thoughts. Yeah. And I'm so happy you said that because I think it provides such relief where I know for myself and I'm sure others listening to this, it can feel like this idea of recovery or being free of body image struggles, et cetera, can be so far away because we associate it with like the absence of this major presence, like eating disorders, disordered eating, body image takes up so much space in our minds. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, it's almost like we attribute the absence of it to that recovery in quotes. But as you're saying here, and as we now know to be true, like, those things can still come up and they do still come up, especially in the culture and the, you know, just society that we live in. But it's that it's kind of, yeah, it's like using the reframing, it's building the habit so that you're not acting on the impulses and the urges. And instead, like you're truly making the decision from your own heart, mind, center overall, in a sense. Yeah. And what's so cool about that is just like, think of like all the areas in your life you can do that because like, there's so many things in our culture that is shoved down our throats. Like I'm thinking of uh, productivity, perfectionism, people pleasing, like the most important thing to me about intuitive eating is how you learn these skills to navigate life. And then it can translate into so many areas of your life. So when I feel a hustle culture from work or from, you know, thinking of myself as a good or bad mom, I can stop pausing and be like, okay, well, wait, like, what is this actually about? I genuinely, truly first learned that skill set with intuitive eating. 
I love that actually, because I hadn't thought of it that way, but it is so true. Like there's so much interconnection between the lifestyle things going on and, you know, our relationship to food, et cetera. Um, and on this topic of intuitive eating, since it's something I'm currently going, you know, through working on and so, so many are, they want to be like, how do you, when someone comes to you and they're like, you know, I'm kind of interested in this, maybe they have some ambiguity about it. How do you sort of like explain it to them or get them started on that path towards, I guess, that intuitive nature with it all? Mm, such a good question. I feel like there's so many different ways I could go with this too. You know, I will first start by saying that a lot of times because I have a podcast and Instagram account, we are constantly educating on like why diet culture is, you know, not the way you want to go and what exactly is intuitive eating. I will say a lot of my clients come to me already with that wherewithal. Of course, they'll still feel nervousness or, you know, some anxiety about it. But a lot of times when I'm working with the client, we're honestly, we're jumping straight in. And then that's so individualized to the person of what they need, whether that's going through their principles, sometimes using a meal plan, particularly if they have a missing period, um, you know, working through navigating digestive issues while having intuitive eating. So genuinely, truly with clients, it looks so different, but for the person who's just like in that very beginning stages of just trying to even understand what intuitive eating is, I think this is so foundational to understand because if you follow along on social media for any length of time, you're going to see stuff that's just like, it's just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. It's just listen to your body. It's just eat quote unquote intuitively. And for people that feel so disconnected from their bodies, that is like the, like the worst thing you could tell them. And immediately, and I have a lot of compassion for this. I feel like immediately a lot of people get turned off from the messaging and one of the things I like to share is like the actual definitions of intuitive eating. So intuitive eating was created by two dietitians, Evelyn Chibley and Elise Rice back in the 1990s. It's been around for quite some time. What's so cool about that is there's over 120 studies backing up intuitive eating. So this is, you know, about a self-care eating framework. Like this is the best way I could think to describe it is a self-care eating framework. It's about actions of self-care, not self-control. It's a weight neutral approach, which means we focus on behavior change, not weight as a means to obtain health. That's another uh, big misconception about intuitive eating. This is not anti-health. It's actually pro-health. It's just coming at it from a different way. Um, and I think understanding that and understanding that, yes, these are principles that these dietitians came up with, but they are also wonderful dietitians that did the work to make sure that there was research to support it. And there is so much information sharing how it actually improves health outcomes. Again, simply by focusing on behavior change, not weight loss as the means to obtain health. So that's where I begin is by just having that basic understanding of what exactly is intuitive eating. Lastly, with that, I'd also share there's 10 principles um, and having a thorough understanding of the 10 principles, I do think is really important because like I said, it's not just quote unquote eat intuitively. There are principles uh, that you begin to apply slowly to your lifestyle and how you eat and show up in the world. And um, that's, that's really recommended to fully understand it because it's a lot more than just like eat whatever you want, like I shared, or another common one is the hungerfulness diet is a lot more than just simply those things. No, I personally had never heard of it described that way. And I mean, even to me, that provides like a bit of comfort, right? Because I think, as you said, so many of us see that type of approach, you know, like the, the full hunger to full, um, or the just like eat whatever you want. And it can be off-putting. It can be scary even. And speaking as someone who has had multiple issues with, you know, chronic infections and my thyroid and my hormones and everything, mm -hmm. there comes to be this point where it's like, okay, well, I'm actually passionate about like supporting my body through these 
health struggles, but I also want to have that freedom, that intuitive approach around food. Like I can't just go out and eat anything and everything. Right. And so it's such a toss up and I still struggle with that. But as you were just saying there, like it can be supportive of, I feel both sides, right? Like it can, like you said, it's, it's weight neutral. There is, as you said, it is pro health, like it is there, but it's also going to help find that bit of freedom to the, to like the food side of things too. So I guess like, is that a struggle then you do see with people where it's like, I know like you do work with people with gut issues and hormone struggles and such like that mindset between wanting to care for your health, but also not wanting to be too obsessive about it as well. Yeah. And I think that's where working one-on-one is just so important because it can be a really hard and tricky navigation of where you're being pulled to. That's why we had that philosophy of wellness without obsession. That's, it was really born out of seeing my clients have these struggles of IBS or SIBO, or they had a missing period, or they were diagnosed with PCOS and they were told all these like laundry list of things that they should do around food. And, um, I just love intuitive eating because it's a middle ground approach. And really what it's asking of is determining sustainable long-term health habits that are personalized, unique to you and your life experience. So it's not here saying like, let's use celiac disease as an example. It's not like saying someone with celiac disease should go eat gluten. Like that is not at all what this message is about. So for that person, that celiac, disease, like it's personalized, their intuitive eating experience is gluten-free as an example. So it definitely allows for those nuances and allows for that deeper understanding of what your body needs. But I do think working with someone one-on-one can really help to determine, are you getting fixated and obsessing over health because you're having health conditions and that feels like a way to control the situation? Or is this because like we genuinely need to apply some of these approaches and this would be self-care, not self-control? That's actually a question I'll ask people to ask themselves a lot is like, is this self-care or is this self-control? And that can help you navigate even on your own, like how to know if you're, what your intentions are and what your mindset is behind the actions that you're taking. Yeah, that intentionality with it all and self-care over self-control, such a, just, it could really like show you kind of what's happening in that moment or with that thought decision that you're about to make as well. And um, I love what you said there with like celiac. And I guess it's like another example, um, you know, if, if you could share, say, say someone is struggling with SIBO or, you know, they've just been told they're on the low FODMAP or whatever these different like gut terms are. I've heard them all. I've been told them all. (laughs) I've never tried any of them, thankfully, but it's like, how do you kind of talk with someone who's being told from a medical professional or someone, you know, else that they really, you know, it's like bred into us to just like trust them fully. Right. And so they have that coming at them, you know, of like, do this, this, and this, and then they're working with you on the more like intuitive eating, all that side of things. Like, how do you even have that discussion or work with them in that, like, mindset where they're being told, I don't know about like two different things, but they're feeling that tug in almost like two different directions, I guess, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I also think that like, from my perspective, it could feel like a tug to the client, but to me, I'm like, they can coexist together. So I don't think intuitive eating pulls someone in one direction and like a diet protocol for a health condition pulls them in another. So let me like clarify, cause that could be confusing. So like to use the example, so you said low FODMA diet and SIBO. So number one for SIBO, like you, you got to take antibiotics. Like that's the, basically the most important thing to do if you are trying to heal from that. But let's say you have um, a diagnosis of IBS or you can 
the low FODMAP diet is at this point evidence based for just about all digestive issues. So inflammatory bowel disease, SIBO, it can really help manage symptoms. Uh, the thing that people get wrong with the low FODMAP diet is that there's three steps to it. So it's elimination, reintroduction, and then personalization. The diet was never meant to be used for, for more than two to six weeks maximum. So there's absolutely ways to still utilize intuitive eating principles and still practice this low FODMAP diet for a temporary solution to determine a lot of times with that personalization piece at the very end, it helps you determine your primary triggers and what the cumulative effect for the FODMAP threshold that you personally have. So I still think that there's such a way to be able to do that while also practicing the intuitive eating principles. Now, with that said, um, a lot of times when we're working with clients on both, and let's say that they weren't necessarily told from a doctor to follow any sort of diet. They're like coming to us because they're trying to figure out what their potential root cause is. A lot of times we might approach it from the low FODMAP uh, diet, but a lot of our particular clients have digestive issues simply because they have disordered eating. So we do see a lot of IBS and SIBO and inflammatory bowel disease, and we do do nutrition protocols while practicing intuitive eating. But also at the same time, a lot of people just have disordered eating, and that's simply the reason why they have digestive issues. So in those specific cases, we rarely are doing nutrition protocols. We're more so focusing on healing their relationship with food and what we often use instead to help manage symptoms is, uh, is supplements, supplements, um, evidence-based ones, I think can be so helpful. That can be things like different probiotic strains, gut motility agents, enzymes, um, mucosigens that kind of help soothe and coat the, the irritated GI tract. So that's kind of our personal, you know, what we have discovered over the years can be really helpful is just finding particular supplements that can help manage symptoms and really focusing on your relationship with food. Like I said, though, I mean, it, it honestly depends on like what your root cause and, and what your personal story is with that too. You know, and thank you for like clarifying that in the beginning too, because I've never worked, you know, with some, with an RD or with someone and two different terms like that. So it is interesting to hear like, yeah, like they can quite literally work together. They can coexist. Um, and then what you were talking just there about the eating disorder habits that can actually inflict so many of these gut struggles and things that people are going through. Could you expand upon that just a bit? Like just some common things that people might be doing not even necessarily realizing their disorder, not even being aware of it, but then, you know, they're feeling all these gut struggles and they don't know what's happening just to bring like a bit of clarity in that sense too, I suppose. Oh my God. I love this question. Cause I think there's like so many things that the diet culture, or let's even say like the health and wellness influence diet culture world, like literally manifest disordered eating pe for people and makes them feel as if they have to be hypervigilant to get rid of their digestive issues, where in fact, for a lot of people, like this is the exact opposite of what they need to do. So disordered eating can impact your digestion in a lot of different ways. I think the most important one to know is when you're simply just not eating enough, that really starts to put your body into a survival mode of sorts. So it starts to shut down pathways and systems in the body that it doesn't see as necessary to survive. And honestly, your digestion is one of those. So with simply without enough fuel, your body will start, stop sending critical enzymes and, uh, you know, processes within your digestion, it will stop having that happen because it's in that survival mode. So that's number one. Um, number two, your gut brain axis is a way of describing that basically your gut and brain are talking to one another. And when we have anxious or fear-based thoughts around foods that can quite literally affect the way we digest and absorb certain foods, because, um, our gut and our brain are talking to one another. And this is, you know, all based off of research. We know that the gut and brain and even the microbiome are connected and affected from one another. And speaking 
speaking to the microbiome, I think that's another really interesting thing to consider is a lot of times when people have digestive issues, they start taking out more and more foods out of their diet. But in fact, we know the best thing that can support your gut microbiome. So that's the hundred a trillion of bacteria and other microorganisms in your large intestines. The best thing to do for that is eat a varied diverse diet. So the more variety of foods we eat, the more variety of microbiome you are going to have in your large intestines. And when people take out all these foods out of their diet, that actually has your body like developing less and less different types of bacteria because you're not eating a variety of foods. The last thing I could share with that in mind too, is it's so common in this like health and wellness world to be like loading your diet with like every vegetable under the sun, so much fiber rich food. And I think that alone can simply cause so many digestive issues. I've had people like easily eating 7,500 grams of fiber a day. And like it is, it can, I mean, cause all these symptoms that you're experiencing just simply from eating too much fiber. Like we don't need to be like shoving vegetables into every little crevice of every part of our diet. I'm a huge fan of vegetables. I love them so much. I'm not anti-vegetables. I'm just saying there, there is such a thing as like eating too much of them too. Yeah. And I mean, on this last note right here, because I've felt it so deep, it's even like the intentionality of it's like, am I eating this vegetable rich meal? Because a, I really love roasted Brussels sprouts and this and this right now, or is it because I'm trying to like curb the actual craving for X, Y, and Z, or I'm trying to fill up my plate and crowd out like all these terms that are thrown around and that we hear. And I've shared this multiple times on Instagram and on here. Like I first, I like when it comes to raw vegetables, I just cannot do them at all. And then even when it comes to my other meals, like I've been slowly learning to just like, it doesn't have to be like, like vegetables are the highway or like, you know, you have to do the vegetables or you're not quote unquote healthy. Like there's just so many other aspects of wellness and food that we need. Um, so yeah, I just, everything you said right there, though, like, it's so true. We see these habits, we see them all portrayed to us. We're told to do them if we want to be quote unquote healthy. And yet they can have such adverse effects on us actually as well. Yeah. When I started seeing clients blend raw cauliflower into every single food under the sun, including their smoothies, I was like, oh my God, this is what's causing your digestive issues. Like they are actually a FODMAP and they just are really high in fiber and don't, I love cauliflower, but my goodness, you don't have to eat it 10 times a day to get the benefits of it. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. There's, there gets to be a point where it's just like, you got to really tune into like, is this helping me or is this not helping me? Right. Like, and I guess that's something too, that we can discuss. It's kind of part of like the entire intuitive thing is that there are so many foods and things we're told to do or to eat if we want to be well, but like in reality, it's like those same foods or those same actions might be harming your body, right? Like there are foods that are so nutritionally dense for the body. And yet, like, I personally just do not do well with them. And it took me so much time to finally like accept that and see it. Same goes for exercise, right? Like some people thrive off of high intensity cardio rich. However, I do not like my body despises it, <laughs> absolutely despises it. And it took me time to finally figure that out and let go of that, like, you know, kind of tendency to go to the cardio or the high intensity. So it was like all such a learning process of like finding what works best for you too, I suppose. 
Absolutely. And that even makes me think of like with the exercise in mind, if there are women listening or people with periods listening, like we have different needs on a different week to week basis. I mean, another example of how diet culture has impacted us is that we all think that we should exercise X amount of minutes per day, X amount of days per week, no matter what, where we have such cyclical needs and cyclical nature. Like it's normal that like one week you feel like you can do that and the next week you can't. And Mm -hmm. Another thing I love about intuitive eating, because obviously I love it so much, is like, I think it blends so beautifully with this idea of cyclic living and really, again, just flowing with what you need in that present moment, rather than trying to fixate on planning and obsessing over your health, your fitness and your wellness routines. Right. And I mean, it was actually when I started learning about the cycles and kind of living in flow with them, it opened my eyes to a lot too, because going back to even what you were saying before about how you know, variety of foods can be so beneficial to the gut. I think what happens with disordered eating is we get so comfortable in our routines of like safe foods or exercises that, you know, like we know burns X amount of calories. We build such a like safe little bubble of what we know of what we feel we can control. Mm -hmm. And so like something where you're like changing to kind of go and flow with your cycle can seem like scary in a sense, but it's so opening for so many things because you start to realize that at different times of the month, like like your body needs more nutrients, like you're hungrier, you know, and like honor those cravings. And sometimes you're not as hungry and it's like, honor that as well. And then different exercises for different times. And when you need to rest and when you have a bit more to give, like, I feel like it, it can be a tool as well to kind of like open up to more things, as long as you're not like, you know, once more taking it too far or getting obsessive about it. <laughs> As with everything, obsessiveness does not create true health and well-being. Yes, a hundred percent. And I guess kind of on this topic of hormones and the cycles, when it comes to working with women that are struggling with hormone issues, um, as well as those disordered eating habits, tendencies, like what are the main kind of correlations that you see between those? There's a lot of correlation. And I do think it's different depending on what diagnosis you've been provided. I mean, I do think HA and PCOS can have some differences, but a lot of similarities too. I think what's unfortunate about a diagnosis like PCOS is most often people are immediately told to lose weight and to diet. And uh, we know that there is a very high percentage of people with PCOS who develop eating disorders. So that seems pretty unethical to recommend something so blatantly and know that that is a high percentage of people who struggle with that. So we focus a lot on gentle nutrition practices while, uh, and helping you manage your blood sugar. If it is an insulin resistance PCOS, while also still practicing intuitive eating. Cause I truly believe it's for every single body and every health condition can be individualized, uh, for your needs and still practice intuitive eating now with HA and that just for reference for people listening, hypothalamic amenorrhea, that is, I mean, the likelihood that your HA is caused from disordered eating is so, so high. We know that most people who have a missing or regular period, and that's, that is what the diagnosis of HA is means you've had consistently three or more cycles missing. Um, that is literally caused from not eating enough or exercising too much. Um, that is like the number one thing I'd even say like exercise is huge, but like the number one thing that can cause it is not eating enough. So obviously that just connects so deeply to a disordered relationship with food, because we feel as women that we have to control how much we eat. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever met a woman who hasn't in some 
shape or form in some point in their life felt like they needed to control their body or how much they're eating on a day-to-day basis. So those go hand in hand. Like you have to heal your relationship with food truly to be able to heal HA. And a lot of times, yes, we are using, um, like for example, a meal plan, or we're focusing on an exercise break to get them to the point of getting their period back. And we want three or more cycles before we return to exercising how, um, someone once did, but, um, that, that just goes so much with intuitive eating process. Truly it does. Yeah. And on that note of when it comes to not eating enough, I, I know I personally learned this and you can speak on it a bit more, but that also means eating like the right, not even the right, but enough nutrient dense food, or I know you you can word this better, but for me, for instance, it was, I was felt like I was eating a lot. I was full all the time, but it was like mostly just vegetable. I was filling myself up, but I wasn't allowing myself to eat enough carbohydrates, enough fats, like things that are essential for, you know, for like that cycle to really flow and for your hormones to flourish in a sense. So well said, Emily. Yeah. What we find is that most people who are controlling their eating habits, they are focused on two things, vegetables and protein, right? Like, cause that's kind of what diet culture tells you. These are the healthy foods. This is what you should be eating. And then also as you share, sometimes it can fill you up, but it's not true fullness in a way that like is truly nourishing your body. And it's why a lot of times after a period of restriction, a lot of people do inevitably binge eat and, or if they don't do that. A lot of times we can start to develop true health conditions like HA, like what we're talking about here. So yeah, just because we might not feel fullness, so to speak, doesn't mean that we are actually eating enough. And, uh, when we're looking at something like getting your period back, uh, the most important thing is overall calorie consumption. Second to that would be carbs. Third to that would be fat. Honestly, protein is so important for so many things in the body. And I love protein, but I just find most people honestly get enough without really having to worry about it. It's not really a concern, particularly when I'm talking about HA recovery. Like that's usually like the last thing on my list I'm worried about. Yeah, no. And that is just so important to remember and for us to discuss. Cause as you said, like there's so much messaging out there about like, this is what will make you that healthy standard. However, you know, society (laughs) paints it, but in reality, it's like, we're forgetting about like just as important equal parts, the carbohydrates, the fats, like overall variety, getting it all in there and really building the body up. Um, but yeah, and I guess just like overall, is there like any sort of like last bit of a reminder or just message you'd want to share with people? You know, maybe it's something you've been seeing a lot lately with clients or you're just really feeling you're discussing a lot on Instagram, just a last bit of like personal wisdom experience advice to share with them. Yeah, I'd love to share something that's been on my mind a lot lately because uh, we are about to launch our program, Permission Stage Playbook, and that's an online course to help you uh, embrace intuitive eating in your life. But um, I'm saying this to say what's been on my mind a lot is this concept of the permission stage because I think what happens is people, they start to learn about the non-diet space and they like follow these intuitive eaters and they're like, oh my God, this sounds incredible and you know so freeing and flexible and peaceful and far from stressful. And I promise it is those things. But I do think there's this work of active work to actually practice and unlearn diet culture, relearn your born ability to eat intuitively. And as I've shared quite a bit in this episode, there's 10 principles that we want you to understand about intuitive eating. This isn't just simply eat intuitively. So I say all this because I call it the permission stage. And I just, I just really like to advocate for people to know, like, it does take some initial upfront work 
it is so worthwhile. Any self-help work that you're doing to improve yourself and really live according to your values and what's meaningful for you and to really free your mind of the food and fitness and wellness obsession that you're experiencing, it is so worth the initial upfront work to relearn this. And then you get to take this with you for the little rest of your life. I mean, you never have to diet again once you learn this. And of course we have seasons of life and it's always a journey, not a destination. But I just, I always think that's fair for people to know because I don't ever want someone to feel like this is kind of the way body image stuff was. We were talking earlier. Like, I don't want people to feel like it's unattainable because they're feeling stuck in that. Like, okay, well, what does unconditional permission eat? What does that actually look like? So that's what I could share is, you know, know that like in the beginning, it is active work, but it's so worthwhile and having that guidance and accountability and community to do this with can be truly life-changing. Yeah. And that's sometimes the reminder that we just need is that, you know, things can feel hard, but you know, it's just the mo- the things that oftentimes mean the most to us in life. Like if you reflect on it, like they definitely, they had their own journey, they had their own struggles, like they had mm-hmm. their own hardship to go through or just, you know, self-exploration, personal growth journey. So it's like the reminder that, yeah, you know, it is attainable, but also like you're doing yourself a favor. You're putting in the work, you're doing good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and so that being said, where can people connect, learn more? You've got podcasts, Instagram, the program, just so they can get all the, all the goods from you. Yes, of course. So there's lots of different places you can find us are definitely our most popular place where people um, learn about our work and kind of learn about, you know, what we teach of intuitive eating and wellness without obsession and all that encompasses that is our podcast. So nourishing women podcast, we have two episodes a week. I'd love for you to listen. You can listen anywhere you listen to the podcast or listen to podcasts in general. Um, Then we also have a blog called Victoria Myers blog, two Instagram handles, and that's at Victoria Myers underscore, but our most popular one one is at Nourishing Minds Nutrition. And that's where we share as much free advice and support as we can. And like you mentioned, we also, we work with people in two different ways. So we have one-on-one services where myself and my team of dietitians work with our clients in a one-on-one setting on intuitive eating, hormones, and digestion. And then we also have online programs. Right now we have our intuitive eating program that's opening up for enrollment, but actually in 2021, we'll also have uh, period programs and digestive programs by the end of 2021 as well. Oh, that's so exciting. I love to hear that. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Emily, for having me. Truly a pleasure.